Okay. Basically, Joe Meyer over at the Innovation Center and Kate Hodel have asked me to do some articles on funding for entrepreneurs, specifically for tech startups in Kansas City. And the group that we're looking at is primarily, but not necessarily confined to, uh, pre-revenue, still proof of concept stage. Now, there might be some customers and there might be a little bit of revenue, but basically you're not ready for Series A or institutional investment at this point. It's it's prior to that. And so um, it, can you chat with me about that and maybe even your own experience in that area? Yep. Okay. So I, I'll just, I'll go ahead and ask the question, but um, I, I just wanted to make sure we were clear on the audience is entrepreneurs who are basically in okay. that. Okay. Yeah. And it, high, it's uh, tech entrepreneurs who have the potential to scale pretty quickly and they may still be in proof of concept. Uh, maybe yep. even not necessarily the free revenue stage might have a couple customers. Okay. So that's the audience. Also, um, potential investors could be interested in these articles. So what's okay. your perspective okay. on the funding situation in Kansas City for that group specifically? Uh, and compare it to national if you can. And if there's any specific programs that you think are valuable to entrepreneurs at that stage here in Kansas City, you know, I'd love to hear about those as well. Sure. Yeah, I feel Kansas City as a, a region is still uh, struggling a, a bit uh, with filling the gap of funding needs for early stage companies. Uh, mm -hmm. I find that COVID-19 has obviously had a pretty significant impact on, on what was already, you know, a, a pretty dry region as well for that early mm -hmm. stage funding. Uh the early stage for most entrepreneurs is the most perilous time. You know, it's them developing a concept, an idea, a little customer discovery, no product, no revenue, but needing someone, an entity, an angel, a family office, a fund uh, to commit to the risk of what they're building. And mm -hmm. I find what happens is that most entrepreneurs rely on grants. Uh, in, in free resources to develop uh, their MVP. But in many of those cases, their MVPs are uh, not as established as they would like. And as a result, you know, the, the opposite side of that effect is that they're not able to scale their product or generate the revenue that they like because many of the entrepreneurs also spend tons of their time fixing, you know, uh, their initial product. I mean, which is part of the process. Uh, the, the goal that I've also found is that for many entrepreneurs, especially diverse entrepreneurs, the only real capital that they're able to get their hands on uh, and I'm thankful for is d digital sandbox, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and if it yes. wasn't for digital sandbox, I, I feel the, the situation in the Kansas City region would be even more dire uh, as well. And, I, and digital sandbox from the conversations that I've had also seems to be, you know, pretty up to speed in recognizing that they're not a, a one-size-fits-all concept. Their job is to help entrepreneurs get as much traction as they can to incentivize and provide some level of validation for local angels to then decide to join on uh, as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but due to COVID-19 and 
job losses and, and things that are happening in our country from racial inequality from politics. Uh, mm-hmm. I find that a lot of the the powers that be that could invest are being a lot more conservative now, even more than normal. Okay. You mentioned diverse entrepreneurs, and that is something that you do hear a lot about, is that uh, my, minority entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs are overlooked when it comes to, even, even if there is a, a sparse amount of, of funding, that they are overlooked even with that little amount there is to go around. Can you comment on that? Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, diverse entrepreneurs and, and female entrepreneurs have uh, a pretty bad, bad rap, you know, here in the Midwest uh, from my lens, right? You know, uh, it, it's a, a deeper conversation that, that a lot of people must be willing to have. Uh, a lot of investors like to invest in things that they are familiar with and people mm-hmm. that they are familiar with. So Kansas City's lack of collisions between a lot of these female and diverse founders with the investors uh, that typically invest is really one of the biggest issues that we run into. You know, how do you find a a kid, you know, from Kansas City's urban core and somehow find a way for him to develop a relationship, you know, with an investor that spends most of their time at a country club down in Johnson County? Right. You know, that th- those collisions just don't happen as effectively as they need to. And, and honestly, I feel because the foundation of the ecosystem here has not been adequately built around entrepreneurs. I feel entrepreneurs are a part of the ecosystem when they should be the foundation of the ecosystem uh, as mm-hmm. well. You know, if you look at other markets, other ecosystems like Atlanta is a great example uh, is about six to seven years ahead of Kansas City uh, from a, a venture and just technology perspective. Uh, and they built themselves around entrepreneurs. So Georgia Tech has a robust program for entrepreneurship. Atlanta Tech Village has a robust program for entrepreneurship. UGA is involved. Uh, the, the local city is involved. ATDC is involved. Uh, and then because of that harmonious ecosystem, the entrepreneurs that scale and exit also come back and do more. So you look at a lot of the things in Atlanta, like the Atlanta startup battle, that was the brainchild of Paul Judge, who exited a company called Pendrop. You have Mm -hmm. a co-working location in Atlanta called Switchyards that was funded by Michael Tavani, who was the founder of uh, a, a tech startup called Scout Mob. David Cummings sold his company, Pardot, to Salesforce and used a lot of those funds to develop what's now called Atlanta Startup Village as well. So they have this very harmonious system where entrepreneurs have been the foundation or simply at the center of everything from the very beginning. Whereas in Kansas City, there are a lot of support organizations and a lot of resources, but entrepreneurs really aren't getting the support that they need, you know, uh, and we need more more discovery done. You know, it's, it's it, time out for talk. Like, I mean, I've been in Kansas City now for a little over three years, and I've already seen far too many panels on lack of funding and the need for more funding. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of action behind that, though, as well. You know, mm-hmm. more matching funds. I know Fountain Innovation Fund is doing their part, so I've got to tip my hat to them as well, you know, for providing a matching fund uh, mm-hmm. for entrepreneurs. Uh, but then again, you know, how does that help the ecosystem at scale as well when they're also trying to build a fund? Uh, some of those angel investors or funds 
will will have to to step up or uh, Kansas City's only hope may be the entrepreneurs themselves. Can we get some of these local entrepreneurs to build their companies and exit their companies and then they become the angel investors? And we've seen some of those investments happen from time to time, not not as many Mm -hmm. as we would like, but it's also Mm -hmm. because we don't have enough density. You know, when Kansas City does have exits, you know, compared to other ecosystems, they're typically much smaller. Uh, and even with those exits, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are also starting to realize that just because you're the founder doesn't mean that you're getting a big check at the end of the rainbow. Because uh, we right. get diluted a lot after you raise capital as well. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough because you want to be able to rely on local angels, local family offices, local funds. Um, and if you can't rely on them, you'd like to rely on, you know, former entrepreneurs also now kind of being uh, part of the process. But the ecosystem is so conservative that I feel that Kansas City ha- is, is really on at the tipping point of uh, either fixing its issues or just really falling too far behind uh, to catch up. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that there's a lot of resources to serve entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs aren't really being served. Is that because, uh, why is that? Is it because they aren't listening to entrepreneurs and what the true needs are? Is it, uh, what, what is the reason? Well, I mean, resources can only do so much. Right. Mm. I mean, there are resources in town that can uh, like the the tech venture program uh, that Sally runs. Phenomenal program. But if an entrepreneur is perfect with that program and gets every single thing that they need done, but has no direct access to the funds that they need to build their business, Mm -hmm. then the entrepreneurs in the exact same place that they started, except they know they have a good model and a good product as well. Yeah, so it's, you know, yeah, so it's uh, even so more frustrating. Yeah, so it's even more frustrating yeah. now. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, you have a lot of diverse entrepreneurs who end up in that situation that get out there and accomplish a ton. I mean, that they, they mm-hmm. get letters of intent and uh, customers <laughs> on board and, and they scrape themselves uh, through uh, a, a product and an MVP and, and get to market. And then when they finally meet the investors, the investors then say, great, you're not generating enough revenue, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I've seen that happen on both sides. Some investors want to invest, you know, when the company's generating revenue, but the company needs the funds to generate revenue so they can build the product. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you have other entrepreneurs who just flat out want to meet with the investor so that they can get the ball rolling. So I've seen people get stymied at both ends, you know, and yeah. then after a while, you know, we anticipate and expect our entrepreneurs to work full time but never really quite understanding that, well, how are they going to work full time on their venture if they don't even have the funds to pay themselves to do simple Mm -hmm. things, you know, like eat, (laughs) right? Right. You know, uh, I mean, so there's some very obvious gaps in our ecosystem that unfortunately resources cannot fix. Resources can help develop more sound ventures. uh, But that funding gap in Kansas City is just, it's growing by the day. It really is. Where do the ones who do get the funding, where are they getting it? You mentioned Digital Sandbox, and even those grants through Digital Sandbox are pretty small, uh, but at least they exist. Where are they getting the funding then, the ones who are able to get it? I mean, a, a lot of the entrepreneurs that, that, that are building their products, they bootstrap. You know, they're using credit cards. They're they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. They're moonlighting and working as as consultants for other companies to help pay for their company or working at night 
you know, uh, uh, on their projects while working for a large enterprise company during the day. But, but that even leads to bigger issues, right? So because of the lack of density and the lack of representation, why or how can we expect Kansas City's brightest students, brightest developers, brightest business minds that are currently in our universities, how can we expect them to stay when they mm -hmm. don't see enough success? Whereas on a daily basis, we see emails and things that come through the newswires from Silicon Valley, from Austin, from St. Louis, from Chicago, from Atlanta, from Charlotte, of all these amazing things happening, all these exits, all of these partnerships, all of these mergers, whereas in Kansas City, we're still talking about exits that happened six years ago because there simply right. have not been enough to happen here to keep it going, you know, and we lose a lot of the talent. And that talent drain also has a significant effect. Uh, Perceptive is a company uh, here locally from the region that I think shows what Kansas City could be if it invests in early stage ideas. Perceptive was started, kick butt, and Perceptive has now, I believe the last count that I saw, led to people that were part of that company have now created 37 other ventures. And we're talking about some really good ventures. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a company that I'm a big fan of called Calendly uh, that's run by a founder uh, named Tope uh, based in Atlanta. What a lot of people don't know is that Tope was actually a team member of Perceptive and used to live in Kansas City. And oh, decided wow. To move to, yep, and decided to move to Atlanta to launch this concept that allowed people the ability to uh, have their appointments scheduled more effectively. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah, from I perceptive. I, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, what I use. I, yeah. mm -hmm. What would Kansas City look like if Tope did that here? And when Tope right. eventually exits and his engineers receive that additional funding, his C-suite team receive that additional funding, what are they going to develop next? And you know who mm -hmm. the beneficiary is going to be right now? Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, right, Georgia right. is going to be the beneficiary because Tope is now going to create a, a four or five other different companies, you know, from uh, from his company the same way Perceptive did. We need more mm -hmm. Perceptives. Yeah, when you say Perceptive, you're talking about Perceptive software that was started, what, like 20-some years ago? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I remember when it started. That's how old I am. But um, yeah, I think it's when it first started, it was officially called Perceptive Software, and it may have changed and dropped the software over the years. Anyway, um, you are you said you've been here three years. And if I remember right from a previous interview that I did with you, you came from Dallas. Is that right? No. So uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. OK, so so you came from Atlanta. Why did you come to Kansas City then? I'm not I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I, I'm really curious. What brought you to, why did you come to Kansas City? Yeah. Yeah, I was the uh, the chief sales officer, uh, national sales director for a, a lifestyle media brand that was based here in Overland Park. And uh, as That's part right. of that company, yep, I, I was in between, had just finished up another venture and partnered up with them. And uh, they asked me to move to Kansas City. That Was that Lifestyle Publications? That's it. Mm-hmm. Great yeah, memory. Yeah, now, now, yeah, it's coming back now. I remember that conversation now. Okay, so, but since you've been here and since you've gone out on your own, you have um, been basically disappointed at the the lack of of uh, opportunities to seek funding. Now, you though, you had a unique way with um, 
Griffin Technologies, you ended up partnering up with a program that a bank, uh, and now that bank has since dissolved that program, haven't they? It's such a bummer. Yeah, I mean, but th th that's again one of the one of the resources here that 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 is awesome. Uh, but they put their money where their mouth is, so it wasn't just a program to to learn more about uh, financial institutions. They also invested uh, in the entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. uh, fifty thousand dollars. So as a result of that, I was able to take that fifty thousand dollars, get my product far enough along uh, to generate some revenue, get some pilots signed up, get some LOI signed who actually then incentivize other investors, mostly outside of Kansas City, uh, to invest. I was very fortunate uh, to receive an investment from Sandy Kemper uh, mm -hmm. and also Eric Gerritsen, uh, who's the current CFO of NBKC. And don't, don't write that one because he likes to keep that quiet. Uh, but okay. also Beth, Beth Ellen and Brian McKin uh, McClendon, a uh, couple out of Lawrence, Kansas, uh, which – that's also public uh, as well. So I was fortunate enough to get enough done uh, to get some conviction from them uh, to invest. So there are some investors here. Uh, there are too few that are writing checks, you know, that are willing to commit and, and support entrepreneurs. But there, there is a, a, a good group of investors in town. I was very fortunate, you know, to be able to have those collisions you know, with the Sandy Kempers, with the Beth Ellen and Brian and McClendons of the world. But I recognize a lot of other diverse founders don't have a similar network. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a plan when I got to Kansas City to, once I realized how siloed it was, to get involved with as many groups and as many programs as I could so that I mm -hmm. could learn and, and find out who the people that I should get to know are. And uh, as a result of that, you know, from One Million Cups to – uh, the tech ventures class with Jill and Sally, uh, to Enterprise Center Johnson County, to Pipeline Entrepreneur Fellowship uh, as well. I've been able to to do just that, you know, but that's a lot of additional work just mm -hmm. to find ways to get collisions. And if we expect every entrepreneur to do that, then we're in for a world of hurt. Yeah, yeah. It takes the focus off of, of developing the product and the company. So, uh, but but still, right now for the diverse entrepreneurs, for the women entrepreneurs who don't have those connections because they don't belong to the right country club, they don't go to the right school or, you know, live in the right part of the city. Uh, your advice to them is to bite the bullet and, and go and network as much as you can even and, and get involved in those groups, even though it takes so much extra time. That's really what the alternative is then. Well, I think even more so, uh, my advice would be to do as much as you can internally to build traction with your venture, right? You know, in, in a lot of cases, that doesn't necessarily mean you need money. Sometimes it's just sweat equity. So that is reaching out for prospective partnerships. That is interviewing 100 customers. That is developing high-def design so you can show your roadmap and what your plan is. That is recruiting prospective team members that also bring validation so that when you do meet with an, an investor and you have no product, you're able to say, over the last five months, we've been able to have some really good discussions with about 100 customers. Of those 100 customers, we had 25 signed letters of intent saying that they are interested in purchasing our product. Uh, to develop our product, I've gotten initial commitments 
uh, from a VP engineering and also a mid-level developer. The benefit to that is having conversations with prospective employees to let mm -hmm. them know that if I have funding, if I raise funding, would you be interested in joining me full-time is mm -hmm. such an easy conversation to have. And I feel a lot of entrepreneurs feel that they have to go out and hire people first. You just want mm. buy-in first. Uh, and mm -hmm. then because a lot of minority, diverse, and female entrepreneurs simply are forced to do more, right, try your best to get out there and get some level of validation, whether that be a, a listicle or an award or a pilot program uh, or any type of a grant that you can receive so that when you go to an investor – as opposed to what we hear about in Silicon Valley of entrepreneurs being able to raise capital simply by having an idea on the back of a napkin. A mm -hmm. lot of minority and female entrepreneurs must come with a brand, an idea, sure. a roadmap, customer reviews, prospective team members, uh, letters of intent, uh, and all of those different things. Then maybe, then maybe we have enough to show to de-risk our venture for an investor to help us get to the next level as well. You know, so mm -hmm. you got to call a spade a spade. You know, Kansas City is not going to change overnight. Uh, but that doesn't mean that having all of that information available doesn't mean that we can't go to other markets and other ecosystems. Startup studios are starting to become very, very popular nowadays as well. Uh, you have to be smart about the ones that you decide to partner with because they tend to take a pretty hefty piece of equity, but they provide a much easier uh, solution for especially non-tech founders to be able to get to their MVP uh, if they're not able to get out there and raise the traditional pre-seed uh, capital. Uh, mm -hmm. And one more thing also I want to add to that too is I feel Kansas City needs a uh, some type of standardization on rounds and mm. what the rounds are meant for. Uh, pre-seed rounds are supposed to be meant for companies with very early ideas to seed their company, to hire the initial team members, to set up all the legal documentation and paperwork, uh, to get an office if they need an office, and to get uh, high-depth designs or maybe a light-level MVP. Uh, a seed round is when that person has an MVP to help that company then put a little bit of gasoline on their fire, you know, uh, to add more team members to have a, a little bit more revenue available for marketing and advertising to acquire more customers. And then you have the Series A, which simplifies things uh, a ton simply by looking at the revenue that you're generating and figuring out the math behind how much you, how much you need to get to uh, other specific metrics and KPIs. Kansas City, I feel, uh, mixes up the rounds a bit, and entrepreneurs are not have been so uh, uh, have had so much difficulty raising pre-seed rounds uh, mm -hmm. that most everybody here considers uh, a half million dollar seed round the going rate, and and oh. whereas in other parts of our country, you know, a lot of investors will look at half a million dollars and simply say, that's not enough money, right? Mm -hmm. How are you going to hire a team and build an enterprise B2B product with half a million dollars? You mm -hmm. know, it, it just doesn't work, you know? So when you look at a lot of these other ecosystems, that was something that I've been told a ton as an entrepreneur. You're not raising enough. 
but you have entrepreneurs that have had so much difficulty raising capital, they don't feel comfortable saying, I'm raising a million dollars. Why don't they feel comfortable? Because how few women and diverse entrepreneurs have actually raised a million dollars in Kansas City over the last 10 years? You can count on one hand. Mm-hmm. One hand, mm-hmm. you can count pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that amount. I, I, so yeah. as a re- go ahead. I, I want to get a clarification from you. You have referenced. Um, I think you're saying MV, M, MVP. What what you what do you it, keep saying there? It, it, MVP M Mary V Victor P Paul minimal viable product. So that is like okay. the earliest version of your software or product. Okay, got it. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. I didn't want to forget to ask you. Um, talk to me about um, customers. You, you, you've already talked quite a bit about it, but a couple of people that I interviewed prior to you have said that some of those early customers that you've been so um, keen on there, that, that some of those can become investors themselves. Uh, have you found that to be true? That it's possible, but it's definitely a a heavier lift uh, Mm -hmm. as well, you know, to get early adopters to invest. I mean, that is some significant buy-in or you're building a solution to a very significant pain point. That that is not a bad route to go. But again, you have to have some things put in place to be able to get to that point. One, do you have any high-def designs? You know, do you have members of your team that are able to help you actually build said product as well? So there's a, a lot of pieces that you got to have in place to incentivize a prospective customer uh, to invest. Uh, it's a great method to raise capital, but it still is, is a pretty heavy lift to build that kind of conviction from a prospective customer as well let alone even getting a customer to sign a letter of intent. That's a little bit easier because it's not a legally binding document. It's simply a customer saying, if you build this, mm-hmm. I would pay you uh, the amount or the rate that we've agreed to as well. Okay. And some investors re- require that. They want to see people buying in uh, as well. Mm-hmm. But we got to be able to kind of fix the order. We need people in Kansas City. If you're about entrepreneurship and you're about supporting entrepreneurship, we need more people to put money where their mouth is. Yes, it's risky. It's supposed to be risky uh, because in the event that one of these companies or several of these companies are able to scale and exit, then those investors that invested at the riskiest stage will be rewarded, right? You know, uh, yeah. risk does not come without reward. We all know that in business. Right. Tell me why uh, the bank's accelerator, the program that they had started, why did that shut down? You know, uh, Zach Pettit uh, ended up taking a position for a, a large fintech company called Bond Technologies. Uh, okay, yep. and, and so they really didn't have anybody else to run it, and they it shut down. Okay, yeah. So, right. so I guess there's an opportunity there if another forward-thinking bank that is interested in, yep. especially yep. fintech, would would jump in there. That'd be that'd be great. But um, okay, is there anything else that you can think of that you can add to the to the articles that I'm writing. Any other thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you've gotten a, a, a good amount uh, of data mm-hmm. um, and just content from people so far. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I've covered more than enough from my side. I talk too much okay. anyway, so. 
<laughs> no, you're great. You, you actually gave me some new perspective. And, and I'll be honest with you, I really appreciate you treading into the diverse and women area because some people, you know, every, everything's so volatile right now. A lot of people just don't even want to comment on that. And it's sad in, in a lot of respects. It needs to be talked about. Well, so I appreciate your yeah, and, there. And, and you brought up one more point that, that, uh, that, that I think is important to bring up. Uh, another thing that, that I found in, in the ecosystem is that there are a lot of people here that that would like change. I feel there are investors that would like to do something different, to be different uh, mm -hmm. as well. But, but there's a level of fear of pushback of people saying, well, why are you just now doing this now? I, I feel mm -hmm. that there are questions that a number of people have, uh, primarily a lot of Caucasian people in town that have questions and things that they don't understand, and, and they simply don't want to be in the middle of what they feel might be a divisive situation, you know, uh -huh. simply by by inquiring or trying to figure things out as well. You know, uh -huh. if the conversation doesn't get had, then there'll never be a solution. You know, so right. we need people that are, are comfortable to be able to have those tough conversations uh, if they are really interested in solutions for us to actually get things fixed. Uh, as opposed to what typically happens is people avoid subjects like the plague because if you take a stance on on an issue one way or the other, you now are opened up for additional questions. And people yep. don't want that, that level of discomfort. You know, but change in a lot of cases requires discomfort. You know, and that's mm -hmm. something that, uh, pun intended, you, you have to be comfortable with discomfort if you want things to be different, you want things to be better. Right, right. No, but I appreciate your candor today on that. Um, as I start writing, if I have another question or anything, can I just drop you an email? Sure. Okay. All right. Well, enjoy that, baby. Uh, thanks so much. Okay. Take care. Thanks so much, Don. Bye-bye. Got it. All right. Take care. Bye.